0: But now we're okay. using my high-speed Cox internet. Yeah, yeah, Cox. Gigablast. <laughs> Gigablast. It's not literally called Gigablast, is it? It's called Gigablast. Okay, that sounds like a Nerf yeah. gun <laughs> or something that would sell <laughs> the children. Well, I mean, it kind of is when you think about it. That's true. There's a, people who care about the internet speeds are, are kind of children. Yeah, the, the ping know. on my on my current spectrum internet is awful or whatever. Mm. And my oven can't cook tostinos. My microwave can't cook tostinos <laughs> fast enough. And, <laughs> and you can't get your Sunny D. Mom, you bought purple <laughs> stuff again. <laughs> Okay. There we go. Now it's working. John, who did you vote for and have you voted yet? And why haven't you voted yet today? (laughs) As an undecided voter, I really wanted to wait until the last minute so I could really collect the amount of information I needed to really make an informed decision. That's a good call. I'm going to, I'm going to go down to my polling place on Tuesday morning with my sidearm, obviously, (laughs) because I require it at all times. And, uh, I'm going to cast my ballot in person, no mask because they can't make me yeah. because I have rights, goddammit. That's a, that's a good call. I like that you showed up in person, which I think is what's important. Um because now in America there're only about I don't know five polling places between all of us that I think mm-hmm. it's important that you that you be there in person. I think if you make the effort, it's worth it. Yeah. I mean you know some people might question how did it get to this and it it was probably totally by accident and probably not by design that there's only five polling places per million people (laughs) exactly yeah you know and trust me it's the other party's fault whatever it is (laughs) um it's not like we just have one party um whose sole interest is uh corporate and and business <laughs> um but you know it's it's fine, it's fine I don't want to get yeah, we I don't want to get political here, but you should vote I mean you have to vote if you don't, it's your fault it's not not anything that has to do with our leadership, that's for sure, yeah, I mean it's so weird when you have one side. That you know cares about democracy, and then the other one that seems actively trying to sabotage it. How do you choose? <laughs> you know, it's like I think you're giving one party just, too much credit. <laughs> mm. <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> uh I mean, this. We're trying to laugh because this is going to be the last episode before we, uh, we uh, before the election. So yeah, technically you know, we're recording this before November third. So uh, yeah. at, at this moment we don't know who who won the United States presidential election and. Probably neither neither do you, um, because it'll take <laughs> weeks, if not months, to count tally up all the votes. But uh, yes, I'm sure that won't stop again, people. That's, from, that's a good thing. Yes, that's a good yeah, thing. I'm sure it won't like, stop. Believe people. it or not, I want an accurate count. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it won't stop people from uh, uh, speculating wildly and declaring victory pr- prematurely. Um, that won't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never happened in American <laughs> history. That's for sure. Um no. I know. I know. We kind of bring our hands over uh, somebody not acknowledging the legitimacy of of an election or transition to power but it's not the first time it's happened and let's just no, simmer no. down let's just cool our jets and know uh, that whoever wins nothing will fundamentally change uh, okay <laughs> i hope so i think things I mean, have already I, fundamentally changed without it not mattering who who is president so I, I guess, but I mean, you've got one side actively encouraging, you know, bullying and and violence. So, uh that's one side. <laughs> less of that, please. Thank yeah. you. One side one side so, of dorks or whatever. All right, just pull their now, pants up. What are they going to do? That's I guess that's true. Or what am I saying? Pull their pull their pants up. Pants them or or wedgie them, I don't care. Whatever. Great Comment you're, on you're how they're optimistic look. than I. Yeah. You're more optimistic than I. That's all I'm going to say about okay. that. Okay. So you've been listening to a lot of pod save america i can tell yes yes i have um what the freak is going on here i'm assuming that's the content of every pod save america episode now Um, actually don't you wish it was 2008 again i sure yes i do every day but in any event I, let's let's cast our minds back to the past. Uh, hello, welcome. This is the Aspiring Snobs podcast. It's me, uh, your bad boy, your your, uh, your cynical one, Greg, and I'm here with my co-host, my twin brother, America's sweetheart, John. Mm, yes, the sensitive one. Yeah. <laughs> we only need two more to fill out the quartet. Yeah. We need a cute one and uh, let's see. right, I'm filling the role of the bad boy and ugly one. <laughs> who's? What's the yeah, last who's... one? The fat one? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what makes. There isn't a fat come on. Yeah. well There was Joy Fatone. <laughs> and then um God, who was the, the backstory boy who always wore the glasses? That guy AJ. Know. AJ. AJ, yes. Yeah. He was kinda of the that one, you know, the the, the 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 heftier of them, I'm sure. That's so t- wait, was Joey Fatone in sync or Yes, he was. Sorry, answering. sorry, <laughs> sorry. We have to uh, certify this now. Okay, we have to get to, we have to get down to business. All right. Yes. So was Joey Fatone in NSYNC? Okay. See, that's yes. that's how you know that that this was made in a lab, and they're somehow mocking us with the obviousness of it. Yes, because the fat one <laughs> is literally called Joey Fat One. It's an excellent point, Greg. You're the first one mm-hmm. who ever made that observation. Yes. Before. Yes. <laughs> Anywho, Greg, what what are we doing here? What is this podcast about? This normally, this is a podcast <laughs> about where we catch up on classic movies that we haven't seen yet, and so I wanted to look at a, a particular film from Alfred Hitchcock. Obviously, it has a lot of bo- film bona fides. Uh, it wasn't a big award winner when it first came out, but now it's generally regarded as one of the greatest films of all time. And it's about um, being locked in and uh kind of distrusting <laughs> our neighbors, which uh, I don't know seems somewhat timely here in the year 2020. I don't know. I don't Somehow know if apropos. Agree. Yeah, I would say I would say so. I think this 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 film touches on very universal themes, wouldn't you say so? voyeurism. I don't know what it is about voyeurism in movies. They sure like to uh, go hand in hand don't they? <laughs> it's, a, it's a surprise that's for sure. Um, <laughs> yes. Not not often explored but uh, we're going to explore. Me, call me Jerry Falwell Jr. because I love to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but in the end it, we're going to look at it via our 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 back portal <laughs> our, mm-hmm. which might have also involved um, something to do with Jerry Falwell we'll see. Um, <laughs> But we're gonna look. We're gonna look out uh, onto our, our big patio at the big courtyard in our in our apartment complex uh, via rear window. I wanna like do like a you know like jazzy like but the soundtrack to this movie is very different than your typical uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock I would say no it's not a Bernard Herm- Herman score um, mm-hmm. it's not gonna overwhelm you overwhelm you with strings it's uh and it's also it seems strangely like diegetic because he lives next to a songwriter yes. and so there's like this kind of like Gershwin esque like this melody that kind of like permeates everything because you know the whole idea is that he's stuck in this house and the only thing he has to entertain him is like the sound coming from outside so as a result you know the closest thing we get to a score is this guy tinkering on his piano regardless of whether it kind of like fits the mood or not although you could also make the argument that there's a sharp contrast there with the tense atmosphere this movie's trying to build and then the music which is kind of antithetical to that as well so Mm -hmm. that was just my first observation watching okay yeah. I'm glad you brought up the term diegetic because it demonstrates—it already demonstrates your expertise in film. Um, well, I mean, we call it aspiring snobs, but uh, we're pretty much yeah, right there. yeah. As an erudite critic, I, I wanted mm-hmm. to bring that up because I wanted to know what the film's reputation is when it first came out. Because now it's generally regarded as one of the greatest films of all time, and but it wasn't a big award winner back in the day. So I combed through some old reviews, mm-hmm. and it's amazing, like. Uh, what what film criticism back in the day was like? Uh, they called the movie sharp. <laughs> this other critic critic dubbed it very good. <laughs> whereas whereas today we look at a film like uh, oh they're playing a lot with the the diegesis and also you know uh, movies are about building bridges between cultures and this and this movie really achieves it. Um, <laughs> so it's amazing how film criticism evolved. Uh, that, however, if I oh go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, Greg it was a lot harder to print posters back then they'd use a shorter amount of words. Okay. <laughs> had That's to really true. like fit those log lines on there. They had quick. to have a giant the the giant visage of Jimmy Stewart and Grace mm-hmm. Kelly in there. So yeah. Yeah. No no poll quotes, no <laughs> <laughs> only tagline. It's a thrilling adventure. <laughs> but in any event, if I were a critic in the mid nineteen fifties, um I don't know if I'd be as charitable. Like if I oh. were just looking at this as a entertainment product this being the second time i've seen it in over over a decade Mm -hmm. um i i'd say it's a slog i do not actively enjoy watching rear window um not as much as like other hitchcock movies hitchcock is a very entertain. he's a pop director like he makes fun light entertainment generally um but rear window to me feels like some something's off and it could be the fact that there's no bernard Herm- herman score it could be that we're kind of locked into this apartment um with a, a probably what i'm what i'm going to assume is the world's most closeted man in jimmy stewart because he does not want to get with grace kelly which is Absolutely unconscionable to me. Well, it's because um, he doesn't share that sense of adventure, Greg. <laughs> he wants to go out. He wants to, you know, see the world. Oh, uh, 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 what are you saying here, John? <laughs> saying, like, wait, you you look at you look at Grace Kelly. You think like, oh, I'm I've got to find eight million excuses not to not to be with her. Like, uh, you know? he just doesn't want to settle for a you know a basic life. I think that's <laughs> what she wants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's really when we talk about Hitchcock, we talk about misdirection in terms of where the stories go and mm-hmm. with the birds it was like a, a a woman played by Kim Novak or not Kim Novak whoever whoever the actress was like um Jy Hadron Tippi Hedren, yeah, like kind of pursuing a romance with um, Psycho. It was a crime movie of a of a uh, Janet Lee, like kind of absconding with this man's money. Here, it's uh, whether um, <laughs> whether Jimmy Stewart will come to his senses and really get with <laughs> the, the woman who's a, a wealthy socialite who's g- gorgeous and desperately pining for him, <laughs> even though he's a He's a dweeby photographer. Not a Yeah, you're right. There's no, there's no kind of misdirection in this game. It doesn't take long to get to the central conceit of it, which is he's he's broken his leg while on assignment, so he's stuck inside. He's yep. a photographer, so he has an eye for things, and he's always on the lookout for things. So, hmm, yes, he's, he's got an eye for things, but it also establishes that he's a, he's a risk taker. Mm. One of the reasons that this movie resonates is because they do a lot of visual storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. Part of it being, like, um, an early montage scans over all his photographs, and they're like, crashes at a, sp- a speedway, and, like, dangerous animals, like, big cats in Africa, like, stuff like that. Yeah, and he's always like, mentioning the countries he's been to, and it's always, like, Beirut, yeah. and, you know, like, Paraguay, and it's, like, dangerous Kashmir, places, yeah. you know, where the darkies live. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is 1950s, I assume they talk that way. Yeah, it's <laughs> exotic, they couch it in those exotic <laughs> terms, yeah. did it, Thorwald. You did it. Look out, Lisey. He's coming. You never should have let her do it. If he ever... Look, look. Thank heaven that's over. It's basically the conceit is, or at least like the opening gambit is whether these two will actually get together. That's that's sort of the idea, and it's not until about 30 minutes in that we get to the like really intriguing, thrilling element, which is he thinks he's seen a, he thinks he's witnessed a murder across the courtyard of his uh, big, like, lower Manhattan complex. Yeah, he's been stuck inside long enough that he's able to figure out, like, the kind of dynamics and the inner workings of the lives of his neighbors across the way. And he knows that there is a bedridden wife and a kind of a stiff, hardworking man on the other side. And they've been kind of, like, fighting a lot. And he's noticed. Mm-hmm. And then one strange night, he notices that yeah, there's not a lot of sound coming out, but he's, like, leaving at strange hours with large suitcases. Mm-hmm. And so it implies that someone's going on a trip. And when. Uh, He's when he wakes up the next morning, the wife is gone. So wait, did she go on a trip? But she was bedridden. Where did she go? Ooh, mm. I'm I'm glad you're you're spelling all this out because the movie does it as well. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> and I think that's where like the movie somewhat loses me. Like, yes, Hitchcock is playing with some interesting themes about voyeurism, um, but it doesn't feel like anything's really hidden. Like, none of this is internalized. Is the problem? Like, Jimmy. Stewart's character explains all his reservations about getting married. Grace Kelly, like explains all of her like motivations for marrying him and, and how she'll like, so nothing's internal. There's no subtext, um, other other than the actual conceit of like being a voyeur and how, being a movie audience is the same way. Like, we're looking into people's private lives. Well, I mean, there's the, you know, there's obviously the tension between uh, James Stewart and Grace Kelly, and now it's kind of like the plot has forced them into the situation together where now those two forces have to where they're going to see how they're going to interact now that this, like, now that they are in a situation that is dangerous, what are they going to do? And that's why he, I mean, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but it's like, obviously, she acts differently than he ever thought she would. So, Yeah, and, well, you br- you bring that up, like, oh, now their relationship is thrown into, like, a complication by... Jimmy Stewart being consumed with his uh, the possible murder of his neighbor. Mm. But I think it solves more relationship more problem or it solves more problems in the relationship than it creates. Mm. Because immediately she says like she's trying to implore him that like hey, I can be an adventurer just like you. I can be tough and you know go, and here let me demonstrate it by going next door <laughs> and actually investigating like um what's what's the neighbor's like she goes through his mail and and actually sees like tries to Uh, figure out some of the circumstances of his wife's sudden disappearance and yeah and tries to dig up there's there's a dog that's been poking around a certain spot in the back Mm -hmm. garden and they're kind of instantly suspicious when the dog gets kind of knocked off oh what did the dog know what did the dog sense (laughs) 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 Well, that dog was a witness (laughs) yeah well that's the only other kind of clumsy thing too because uh, we aren't just talking about um voyeurism in the movie like uh the death of the dog like so we we learn a lot about the other neighbors like as you mentioned like Caddy corner to him is a is a struggling songwriter um on the bottom floor is a, a woman that he's dubbed miss lonely hearts um because yeah. she's she's single and that's a, that's a very impressive sequence when um she's kind of play acting a date by herself mm-hmm. and jimmy stewart kind of joins him across the way unbeknownst to her and like you know <laughs> cheers along with her and that seems like a good emotional sequence in which we get but the rest of the movie is so consumed with this like with this not not banal murder plot or whatever but like it, di- it didn't intrigue me like there's nothing subtextually going on everybody kind of spells out like what they're thinking and i don't know th- like th- there are too many like fade outs because we're, we're stuck in this room it's like how the <laughs> hell do we show the passage of time so like we always got to fade to black and fade up and sometimes sometimes hitchcock will fade up on James Stewart's character being asleep and that's mm-hmm. supposed to indicate that uh like somehow this is like a dream or something or like he he could be a little unreliable in his observations or his or his suppositions but um yeah but here's the reason why I enjoyed the movie is because you're right the stakes should feel relatively higher but again, this is, has a very kind of play-like atmosphere, and I think a very kind of casual atmosphere. And so, what I was kind of charmed by was the dialogue, because we've got really four main characters. We do have yeah. we have Jimmy Stewart, we have Grace Kelly, we have his uh, nurse who kind of is trying to help him rehabilitate, and then we have the detective. See, yeah. <laughs> and so as a result, we get like this kind of like his girl Friday kind of dialogue was like, well, you got to get over there. Uh, well, there's got something we got to deal with. It's called due process there. <laughs> you know? So I, it's not, not as snappy though. Like yeah. you don't think it's, it's snappy it, enough. I know it, it doesn't come enough. fast. Enough. I no. enjoyed it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you're right. I don't know if this works so much as a thriller because it is pretty slow. But I think as kind of like, if we're, if we're imagining this theater, I think it, it operates on that kind of like sensory level. You're, you're kind of yeah. limited to the space, you're limited to the characters, and you just kind of like focus on the dialogue. And so that's where I think the movie exists. Lisa! Please. Precinct 6, Sergeant Allgood. Hello. Hello. Look. A, a man is assaulting a woman at 125 West 9th Street, second floor, at the rear. Now make it fast. Okay. L, L, L. B. Jeffries. Phone number. Uh, Chelsea 25598. Hitchcock is a skilled enough filmmaker where he can, he can do that and play different camera tricks. Like um, mm-hmm. I know I think this same concept is done a little bit more successfully in the movie Rope, which came out, I think, six years before this. Mm-hmm. Um, that one is based on a play and filmed like a play in that he tried to th- say it it tried to frame it as if it was one shot there's some now very obvious like cuts where like you know we zoom into a character's back and then it zooms out like that's supposed (laughs) to disguise a cut and yeah um but in terms of like in terms of playing with the scenario when like there's an obvious mystery going on and we know more maybe more than the characters know um that one works more successfully as a thriller and it feels like there's more There's more going on in terms of more characters having their own dramatic tension, whereas here, the only dramatic tension is whether Grace Kelly will finally (laughs) break up with this pud. Uh, I don't care how skilled a photographer he is. (laughs) I don't know, man. There's a few moments where we get to see uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart in some stage of undress, and oh boy, that bod... (laughs) Give me the sagging him. tits and thin arms. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> we could see him in undress, and I think there's there's a there's a masturbation joke too because his he's got a, this giant leg cast, and at one point and it, sometimes it itches and he can't actually like reach the itch. Okay, I the, like, wasn't to... sure about that. Yeah, because yeah. I know I always know knew that uh, Alfred Hitchcock tried to pull one over on the censors, so I was like, is yeah. he trying to go for a masturbation joke here? Or I th- I think that was being cheeky. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, Same cheeky with the, love. <laughs> yeah. Same with the, another scene where he's watching a ballet dancer across the way. Oh, yeah. And he sees her in a state of undress, and her bare back is basically to the can. Like, ooh. Like... There's also the newlyweds. Uh, there's a pair of, uh, of newlyweds across the mm-hmm. way, and so, you know, the blinds are always drawn and the only time they're drawn up is when the guy's like he needs a breather because this new wife is (laughs) insatiable exactly am i right fellas that isn't that always the way fellas come on you need a break ladies take a break fellas you know what i'm talking about but anyway let's get back to the dog in the the (laughs) film's cutest and then most tragic element a, Mm. a dog lives up on the third floor um these two uh, two folks are. It's so hot. We should have mentioned it's also a heat wave. Like, uh, mm-hmm. we use. and uh, so they're sleeping out on the fire escape, and the dog is permitted to down into the courtyard via this uh, basket on a pulley, and so they just a little elevator takes them up and down. Mm-hmm. But um, after the dog is tragically killed for sniffing around the garden, where presumably a, a body or God forbid a body part was <laughs> was buried, uh, it's uh it's intimated that like nobody nobody thought hey the do- dog probably fell from the third floor instead like oh no its neck is broken <laughs> yeah and then and, and the there the, the owners are hysterical it's like you yeah. killed him you knew what happened <laughs> yeah you knew what happened and i thought you were supposed to be good neighbors or something and i'm like where did this theme come from because mm. our our supposed uh, likable protagonist again played by america's sweetheart jimmy stewart like again, can't seal the deal with the most gorgeous woman in the world, and also is snooping on his neighbor, and, like, is that supposed to be the implication, like, oh, you're, like, we as moviegoers are, like, bad neighbors, like, we see all these things, and yet we're somehow powerless to report them, or, like, prevent this death from happening? I, I didn't understand that theme, or that kind of harangue that she... That's in tones here. I, don't, I didn't get it. I, well, it's also weird because I thought they were kind of maybe like making reference to that famous case where that woman was screaming bloody murder and no one said anything. And it happened in like the projects of New York City. And it was like an indictment of the city. It's like, oh, look at yeah. you. You know, you're you're you know, uh, uh, kind of lulled into an action. How dare you, you bad people. That didn't happen until like the 70s or the late 60s. Yeah, so that was, that this is well before... Yeah, that was the case of Kitty Genovese, um, that's which happened, I think, in 1963. Yeah. And even then, that that's a bit spurious to say, like, oh, she No was one screaming. tried to do anything. Yeah. yeah, she was screaming, and 60 people passed and did nothing. Like, no. Yeah. There's a lot more going on with the, her tragic death. But, um, yeah, I, maybe that could have been it. Yeah, because, you know, city dwelling, you're kind of a nerd to people and their problems. So. <laughs> exactly. Especially in New York City, like, so... <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, maybe that's... But you're right, like, I I think you have a good point, which is, like, this movie doesn't have a lot on its mind, and it's kind of funny that everyone brings up, like, oh, the voyeurism, when really that's not really a central theme of the movie. The whole kind of point of the movie is, you know, just that sensational thrill of, you know, afraid of getting caught. (laughs) Like, that's the... (laughs) That's really the only thing that's on the movie's mind. Yeah. Well, I... I hesitant to bring this up because I saw this in the context of a media literacy class mm-hmm. and they brought up that this is a movie uh, set and produced in 1954 in the midst of the red scare mm-hmm. and basically you should be snooping on your neighbors because they could be commies in disguise and like I I don't feel like um, all movies have to be morality lessons and say mm-hmm. like you know like do X behavior because X behavior is good. Like avoid bad behavior. Oh, Why? it's like because, yeah, it's the yeah. kind of like subtler propaganda where they're not telling you what to do, but implying this is what happens if you don't act right. <laughs> yeah. But in this case, uh, J- Jimmy Stewart's, uh, or uh, excuse me, yeah, Jimmy Stewart's snooping is justified. This his neighbor did actually kill his wife, and mm. and so <laughs> like, I, I don't know like how that fits into the the context of the red scare and like yes you should stoop on your neighbors cuz you're probably justified in finding out if they're reds like <laughs> um i didn't really think of that when i was watching it um because i mean again it's like for me the movie is very kind of like surface level so it's like the story's kind of like tawdry so i didn't really like look into it cuz it's not like his it's not like there's anything overtly political or suspicious about the guy who, you know, quote-unquote, murdered his wife. Because it's... And- you could argue that it's like again this is kind of this movie is playing with like kind of like gender roles is like oh the man gets cold feet because he's worried about you know his wife kind of upstaging him he wants to be the breadwinner or something like that so maybe independence or so yeah like he can't be independent or go off on his own exactly and that's that's kind of of, nagging wife. (laughs) (laughs) well and again and that's the the central theme i think the movie is playing with is you know Jimmy Stewart is is restless he, he wants to be free and so obviously he sp- takes special attention to the couple across the way who are having struggles in their marriage because she is bedridden and he has to be taken care of just like him so um, but yeah outside of that I don't really see any kind of like communist connection but obviously you know no movies made in a vacuum no art is made in a vacuum so I can totally see that kind of reading yeah and so I want to maybe apply it to today in which like we wonder, in this fraught political time, like what are our neighbors actually thinking? It's not mm. reds, but like I don't know, do they wear red hats? <laughs> do yeah. They, what are their yard what, signs? Hmm? Yeah. What are they commenting on Facebook or next door? Like, yeah. What are they, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's the only kind of connection today, and how something, how we have this division with our neighbors, like you know what they feel, and and also, especially now we're still recording in the midst of a of another uptick in COVID nineteen cases, and like do we distrust their neighbors in terms of where they've been and or how seriously they're taking health protocols and so that's the other that's the only other kind of uh contemporary connection i can make to this movie but otherwise i just found it like i don't know too slow too plotting too obvious and not just not just pop entertainment it didn't have that energy it didn't have that life oh bit. really like that's oh, okay. yeah that's that's why and not just in the fact that we're kind of locked in one location but also like i don't know There, the chemistry between jimmy stewart and grace kelly was a little bit deniable i will say it was wow. yeah harsh <laughs> i know i mean but and she eventually ended up being a royal so what does that tell you about her I, experience at this movie hmm? yeah <laughs> I, I think the the right choice um <laughs> Between like working on a movie or I don't know sitting around in well-appointed ballrooms, like <laughs> I think literally she, doing nothing but yeah. standing there being pretty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least this way I don't need to remember lines. Yes, uh, always always choose the latter. Yeah. <laughs> I still think the movie works. Uh, I don't. Th- you're right. I don't think it's uh, Hitchcock's best. Although it does kind of share a lot of his hallmarks, and I think the biggest one is the anticlimactic climax. Yes. <laughs> You know, for all the great, like, direction and staging in this movie, that climax, woof. Um, the killer <laughs> finally figures out who Jimmy Stewart is by, like, just star 6 9 like, dialing back when he's picking mm-hmm. up. You know, he obviously answers thinking it's somebody else, and then it's like, he knows that it's like, oh, the jig is up. The killer confronts him, and he's able to ward him off with a flashbulb from his camera. <laughs> Not once. Not twice, but thrice. <laughs> yes. And just a, a splendidly done effect. I mean, clearly, <laughs> like, the best special effects they had at the time. Um, I I don't want to goof, like, because they, they kind of used what they had, but it, it does look really corny. Like, this kind of, like, they're trying to do the, like, imprint on the guy's, like, Hand, but I think, like, even for the time, you could have done a strobe effect. You could have done something rather than this, like, really corny, like, red blot that slowly fades on the screen. Yeah. And, like, even the perspective, like, I thought it would have been interesting if he shot it from the villain's point of view as he enters LB Jeffrey's like, apartment. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's, like, clearly just still, like, the 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 quarter angle like how you shoot dialogue on the quarter like that's yeah. just, it's the same angle and it just doesn't doesn't and work and it just yeah. happens three times <laughs> but listen yeah <laughs> listen to me i'm critiquing hitchcock on his direction like <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's no mix-up there's no variety it's not mm-hmm. cut fast enough that it's tense it's just literally yeah. i'm coming to get you flashbow. oh no <laughs> or well that was inconvenient i'm coming at you again <laughs> yes and yes. then also kind of upping the corny factor uh jeff, jeffrey jeff is allowed is um he does alert the whole courtyard everybody comes rushing out and the footage is like sped up like a benny hill sitcom or something <laughs> like it it doesn't look great and um and as we learn later like um he does fall from a height but is like a-okay yeah and that's when just in yeah. time yeah. And that's when there's like a reassuring, like, confession, like, hey, don't worry. He, he admitted to everything. You were right, Jeff. Because um, <laughs> that's how these kind of like reassuring crime stories have to end. Like, well, the, yeah, no. And that's the weird thing about Alfred Hitchcock movies. They always feel like a procedural wrapping up is like, ah, let me explain to you how he did it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and let me tell you why the status quo was worth preserving. Good yeah. job, cops. <laughs> <Gopsle. laughs> well, he was a popular entertainment director. Like,. That's what. That's what. Also, I'm trying to square is like um, kind of doing pop entertainment, but also really pushing the envelope in terms of like great technical directing and saying things that can indict that yeah. can indict the audience and and really put the put the onus back on them and their kind of our voyeuristic tendencies as as moviegoers, like mm. as people who relish this kind of drama, but. I don't know. Something about Rear Window doesn't go far enough, or like there's just not enough juice there. Like you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to squeeze this this orange or whatever, and not enough's coming out of Rear Window. Whereas no. obviously, yeah. Whereas obviously, like uh, Psycho is a gigantic balloon i could talk for that, about that movie oh, for yeah. hours well, and... this is this movie's no psycho absolutely yeah. not but i thought it still worked on that kind of like again simple level it's a simple movie effective premise i thought it worked you're right could it have gone farther could it have maybe delved into more themes absolutely but hey for what the product we got i'd say go check it out come on it's, yeah you say come on like i think it's a fine product of the 1950s for a thrilling movie but now, are we also gonna say like it's worthy of preservation in the in the Library of Congress? It doesn't belong. What in the else top, we got there in the top one hundred <laughs> films on IMDb? Like, does it? You know, <laughs> yeah, all that was... stuff. Yeah, I know. I, I'm trying to cast those those little like those accolades and stuff like aside <laughs> But um, yeah. <laughs> The back of my mind like says, "Call it overrated and look really smart for the other oh, people." Oh right? yeah. wow! <laughs> yeah, now we understand your true colors. Your virtue yes. signaling. I see it. Okay, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. Yes, <laughs> Sign- signaling my virtue of uh, saying Hitchcock is bad. Actually, <laughs> oh, no, hella-, hella, hella problematic. Let me tell you. Put on your oven mitts for this hot take, folks. Look out! <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, buckle up, buckaroos! All right, get ready for a uh, 800 tweet Twitter thread. Um, <laughs> In this essay, I will explain that oh, rear yeah. window is not very woke by yeah. today's standards. <laughs> <Dial>! <laughs> Creel, give me a thirty-eight. It's a plastic. Sorry, Jeff. I got here as fast as I could. Oh, Mr. Jeffries. Don't let anybody touch him. Get my medical bag from upstairs. And oh, Lisa, sweetie. If anything had happened to oh, you. Shut up, I'm proud of you. You got enough for a search warrant now? Oh yeah, sure. Lieutenant Doyle. Yeah? He okay? He's alive. Thorwald's ready to take us on a tour of the East River. Yeah. You saying was buried in the flower bed? Yeah. He said the dog got too inquisitive, so he dug it up. It's in a hat box over in his apartment. Want to look? No thanks. I don't want any part of it. Speaking of Oak, we only hear the voice of one person of color and it Mm. is heavily accented so (laughs) it's not an inclusivity win um i'd say it's an inclusivity loss (laughs) yeah that is also kind of the weird thing this movie takes place in new york and you'd think Mm -hmm. that they would also like and again maybe it's because my head is going back to that kitty case it's like they don't really indict the city too much at all or at least like the setting isn't that important because you know thinking about like the 1950s the way you you know, interact with your neighbors, like a more rich setting would probably be the suburbs. Which is why we got the remake, Disturbia. <laughs> Not an official remake. Yes. But... And, In all intents and purposes, it's yeah. a remake. Yeah. And we got an equivalent, America's Sweetheart, Jimmy Stewart, now upgraded to Shia, Blub- Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> yes. America's Sweetheart. We can't get enough of him. He's America's Honey Boy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> good one. Good poll there. Um, Thank you. <laughs> Now people are racing to be to figure out what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> they should know if they're if they're any if they're wise, they would know okay, okay. I knew we should have watched Rebecca damn it <laughs> that would have been the more timely title to do, but oh well, an excuse to see more Army hammer am I right mm. I, in any event <laughs> uh for window uh some points of improvement uh overall, <laughs> however. It's still a, another uh, Hitchcock movie. You can't deny that. And, uh... <laughs> Damning with fine praise. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I still say go check it out, just, right. especially to fill out your film bona And maybe you'll find it overrated, just like Greg. Make it your okay. own opinion, God damn it, We're not here yeah, to tell that's... you what to think. <laughs> yeah, we're not here to educate you, okay? <laughs> all right, so get off our backs. <laughs> yeah, gosh. Jeez, we've got enough problems, all right? There's an election coming up. I know. I mean, but John, we've already given them some, a little bit. Mm -hmm. I feel like we have more to offer, though. I mean, what do you think? You know what? As a public service, and as good citizens, as good neighbors, I think it's only important that we we give some recommendations in our signature segment, Spotlight. 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 the, The money's not here. Well, your money's in Joe's house. That's right next to yours. And in the Kennedy house and Mrs. Maitland's house and a hundred others. Oh. <laughs> well, I might. <laughs> I got a big blood block. Ach, it's, my it's eyes. It's fading in my eye. I know. <laughs> Ugh. What, was that, uh, what was that horror movie from the 1950s that has a blind protagonist? She gets robbed and she's blind. Oh, uh, that was based on a play, maybe from the '50s. That movie didn't come out until 1969. You're thinking of Waiting Until Dark. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And it's Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn plays a blind woman, and Alan Harkin is a thief. Um, and it's in black and white, right? It's not in black and white, but it's it's shot in the dark, obviously, because <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> what uh, to kind of, thinking of yeah. Oh, she well, turns no. the yeah. She turns the tables on the thieves because she's blind and knows the the. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, apartment, like the back of her hand, um, which as yeah. you do, I mean, I know the back of my hand perfectly. So <laughs> later remade as Home Alone. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, Greg, for this week, I want to recommend. Uh, so, like these moods, sometimes they hit us. And uh, one night, me and my husband were just sitting around, lazying, being lazy, and. You know, he just says, I want to watch something with zombies. (laughs) And so I I acquiesce to his request, and I take my Amazon Alexa, and I go, Alexa, zombies. (laughs) And so (laughs) um, a million recommendations came up that all were vampire-related, but I was, like, close enough. (laughs) Wait (laughs) a minute. Uh, uh, Alexa, we got to talk to Amazon about that. I'm... Calling their customer service right now. All right, you, you proceed. But that's unbelievable. I, how much clearer can you be? Zombies. Z o m b i e s. Not vampires, <laughs> which are completely different. But um, there was one zombie movie that kind of came up, and the trailer started autoplaying and I was like, "This looks curious. Let's check it out." And it's a it's a little two thousand eighteen independent movie called "The Night Eats the World." The Night Eats the World. Or, okay. to give it its proper French title, Les notes, Les Mont de Munches, It sounds close <laughs> un- I've been taking French for many years, but yes, that sounds close <laughs> enough. Yes. Uh, so it's uh, the elevator pitch, or let's, I'll explain, uh, the zombie stuck in the elevator pitch would be, um, it's basically all his lost meets 28 Days Later. Um, our main character okay. is this guy named Sam. Th- th- sorry, not just. I'll stop you right there. That does not sound fun. <laughs> that does not sound like a <laughs> rollicking good zombie fair. Um. So uh, the premise is pretty simple. We have our yeah. main character. His name is Sam. So this movie is French, and the lead actor is Norwegian, but it's all in English. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that does make it a little bit more watchable for an English audience like us, although his accent is like he's trying to sound like Uh, Adam Driver doing a normal accent and it just, it doesn't really work. It's, you know, very nasally and very kind of average American, don't you see? Um, But uh, we got this guy named Sam. He is, uh, like, the, the setup is very kind of obtuse, but he's He's coming to this old-fashioned, you know, Parisian apartment to gather his stuff. He's moving out. Um, It happens to be the same night that there's this, like, rager going on with this DJ, though. And so he's, like, he's just trying to get out of there. And, you know, it's like he's talking to this girl, maybe former relationship, maybe just former roommates, who knows. But she's like, yeah, yeah, I'll help you out in a minute. But, you know, obviously she's busy throwing this party. So he ends up going back to the room where all his stuff is and just kind of ends up, like, falling asleep. Wake up the next morning. uh, Looks like there was a party, but looks like things went very wrong because there is way too much blood for a party (laughs) to get this out of control. (laughs) Um, A bad party, maybe. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) good party. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> So he um, he goes exploring, he investigates, and the first person he runs into, hey, what happened here? Turns around, half their face has been ripped off. It's a zombie. And he has to fight him off, you know, and fights off a, a few undead, but he's able to barricade himself into his former apartment. And so the movie is, it's pretty slow, it's meditative, but because it's kind of like you're trained, you have to kind of unlearn a lot of things that you've kind of, uh, been kind of taught by zombie movies and one of those is like the jump scare so there's not a lot of jump scares in the movie but because he is under like this constant threat that zombies could kind of barge in at any moment there's this kind of like low level tension that kind of keeps you your anticipation up your heart rate up a little bit so even though the movie is pretty slow and meditative and it's more concerned with his kind of like At first, the first third is, like, him and his, like, day-to-day struggle with just surviving. He breaks into the other apartments, gathers whatever food he can, you know, figures out how to bathe when there's no running water, figure out, you know, how to set up lights when there's no electricity. It's, like, again, like, all is lost, you know, except, you know, not as compelling a face as Robert Edford, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) But it's procedural in terms of this survival Very procedural. No dialogue. Um... Except for uh, eventually, you know, he kind of gets his used to his routine, and um, there is this one zombie in particular, uh, which he names Alfred, I don't know if that's his actual name because he might have been familiar with this guy when he was alive. Um, he's played by this guy from Holy Motors. Like, he's this weird-looking French actor who you've seen before probably in other yes. independent Yes, Yes, that's uh, the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's that weird-looking guy. Um, yeah. He plays this zombie who's stuck in the elevator and, you know, it's an old-fashioned like Parisian, you know, like, you know, Iron Gate, you know, thing. So he's like clawing yeah. out of like, ah! But he's not really a threat. So, because he's so lonely, he kind of like strikes up conversation with Alfred, even though he's like, mm-hmm. he's obviously not responsive at all. It's basically his Wilson, you know, his, his kind mm-hmm. of like last, last grasp at trying to maintain sanity. And that's where the movie eventually goes. And again, like, talking about that low-level tension like he's never truly safe like a zombie could kind of like bump in at any moment the kind of social isolation causes him to start hearing things and then he starts like his sanity starts to leave him as well and you know obviously as it progresses if you know if only he could move on if only he could you know figure out not to be so guarded all the time it's almost like his internal conflicts are matched by his external conflicts interesting John, John maybe we should do that John <laughs> come on come on <laughs> <laughs> All right, don't be, don't be crazy. All right, so clearly, the text the text is there. There's nothing underneath it. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. All right. Yes. He's clearly just trying to fight off a very plausible, you know, just zombie scenario. So I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know if you have to read into it. or Whatever. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's subtle. It's meditative. It's quiet, and it's like weirdly respectful. Like part of the thing that they never, like bother to explain but just like perfectly show is that Sam has a respect for life and he never really kills zombies if he can help it <laughs> like if if he does kind of as he's investigating like he runs into zombies he tries to just lock them away and there's another point where he gets in into a tussle with a zombie and what he does is he throws he like traps him under a piece of furniture like he never tries to actively kill a zombie mostly because he's just like too green but also i think he just kind of naturally has this sanctity for life that he just is a line that he won't cross so it's okay. very interesting yeah that's refreshing to hear uh, because yeah. that's uh, that's something i Bristle at about zombie narratives because, like, it seems like an excuse to see viscera or or act Mm -hmm. out violently against fellow humans without without guilt, being guilty about it, (laughs) exactly, without feeling guilty about it. So yeah, I that's that's good to hear, I guess. Um, Yeah, and I think that's like again, that seems like the modus operandi or what the filmmakers were going for was kind of like go against normal zombie conventions so it's like yeah you've got this man held up in this one location but again there's not many jump scares it's more about his kind of like day to day survival and how he maintains sanity instead of like constant barrage and constant headshots headshots yeah. you know so yeah it's a pretty interesting movie okay yeah <clears throat> what's it called again? Uh, Le Monde de Munch Munch? The Night Eats the World okay The Night Eats the World All right. yes on Amazon, on Amazon Prime. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> yes, even though they've have desperately screwed up their voice recognition or whatever, or I, I don't know, or pranking me by <laughs> and deep by deeply offending me by getting the exact wrong monster you want. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. Anyway, we'll move past it. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, but John, I've got another uh, Halloween theme entertainment. I know it's November already, but. Uh, <laughs> Our, on our last episode, I said that uh, Hocus Pocus was basically the only Halloween-themed, family-friendly entertainment you could put on for the kids, and maybe the adults uh, enjoy it as well. Yes. I was wrong. Uh, oh. There is another one. and uh, <laughs> Only it, one other one. <laughs> yes, as far as I can know. And um, you and I have seen it many, many times before, uh, but it's been many, many years since uh, you. it's possible you don't remember a thing about it. Uh, this week, we watched Casper. Oh, I do remember being traumatized by this movie because there's one point where they do possess somebody, and I remember that scene giving me nightmares. So let's yes. just leave it at that and not talk about this movie anymore. All right, let's, <laughs> so you can always follow us on social media. and you can. <laughs> no, John, no. We have to dig up this cultural memory because I could not remember one iota about <laughs> Casper, and I'm sorry that you've had to block it out, but... It, it's weird because it's the 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 reason we probably can't remember a thing about it is because it's like eighteen movies in one. <laughs> so, it begins with a, a our cold. It was part open... of this larger trend in 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 the nineties where it's literally like any sixties TV show. No matter how scant, we will remake it as yes. a movie, as a $90 <laughs> yes. million dollar movie. It's going to happen. <laughs> it began as a Harvey comic, and I think was a TV series or something in the 60s. Yeah, and it was like one of those little like animated shorts, like Rocky and Bullwinker or something like that, like very, yeah. yeah. And it, it was actually brought to life by Amblin Entertainment, so they, they did it to the nines. It wasn't a cheap kind of grab. It wasn't, it, it, do, it looks better than, say, Hocus Pocus. Hmm. Well, well, Halloween Town or that's whatever. Not a, that's not a hard hurdle to to, follow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> to, to clear. Okay, uh, fair enough, but uh, it still looks impressive. The the special effects, notably like they uh Casper's recreated with uh digital effects in the year 1996, those actually like still look okay. Mm-hmm. Um amazingly enough. I know a lot of not a lot of things like age very well in this early CG when they they put CG in basically everything. But again, it's Amblin Entertainment and I saw names familiar from the, the Jurassic Park credits also uh, did the work on Casper. So got it. God bless him for that. Um, But let's, let's get to the first of these 18 movies. Um, John, do you remember that there is a woman, a wealthy, uh, uh, not a wealthy, excuse me. She's like the Anna Nicole Smith character. She's a gold digger and she's bequeathed this mansion. Like when she was expecting a bigger payday and, I don't know, but apparently, and she's disappointed until she hears that there's a treasure in the mansion. Mm-hmm. Um, does does any of this ring a bell? Or- <laughs> I I remember a father and a daughter moving in, and I yeah, do remember. So- yeah, it was it was money related. It was like they were bequeathed this old house. There was some kind of like fortune involved. That's really all I remember. <laughs> yeah. So well, that's like the first like fifteen minutes or so. Okay, and there's actually some, a very embarrassing cameo where they're trying to get the ghosts out of the house, and at one point we see Dan Aykroyd dressed as, as Ray Stance in his Ghostbusters outfit. Oh, running really? out of the house, and he tells them, "Who are you gonna call? Somebody else." <laughs> and oh, then, oh my gosh, yeah, how embarrassing! Oh, that's, not, <laughs> that's not the most embarrassing joke. We'll get to, we'll get to some later ones, but oh, no. that's the first fifteen. That's the first of twenty five movies that are jammed in here. Okay, but then they call up a ghost. Psychiatrist. This is where the two characters you remember, the father and the daughter. The father's okay. played by Bill Pullman. Yes. Um, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. And he's the one who gets possessed, and I think at one point he, like, turns into the Crypt Keeper or something like that, and that's what traumatized me, so. Yeah. Oh, okay. The, yeah. Yes, there is one scene. It's actually pretty brief. I think you'll, you'll survive it, but. Okay. Yeah, he he gets possessed by the ghost. He still has all his faculties, but he looks in the mirror, and this is when they use the best morphing technology from the 90s. Every music video had this morphing technology. Oh, yes. Like the like the like the, um, the uh, J- Michael Jackson black or white video. So he morphs first into Clint Eastwood in the first of our many, many cameos. <laughs> then Rodney Dangerfield. Then Mel Gibson. Then The Crypt Keeper. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could they have dated this movie anymore? They thought like, <laughs> who's the most Excuse timeless me, people we can get? I got it. Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, John. He was huge, all right? These, uh, these were all the A-listers, all right? That is true. And, he and he was on The Simpsons way before, you know, anybody else, before it became popular, so. Yeah. <laughs> and Clint would still here, all right? <laughs> Clearly, you didn't see Richard Jewell, right? <laughs> he never left. I mean, who did see Richard Jewell? <laughs> but anyway, uh, so this is really the heart of our movie is Bill Pullman uh, playing kind of a, a nerd. Like, it's coming off as... Indep- a ghost psychologist as a nerd? I don't think so, Greg. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he must be a pretty cool customer, if you ask me. Compare him. <laughs> it to his other film role from the same year as the president in Independence Day, mm. the stalwart leader or whatever, so... And then you have Christina Ricci, um, who's obviously way too good for this material, and I think later said, like, I, I'm ashamed to be... I was ashamed to be in the Casper movie, uh, <laughs> according to the trivia on IMDb, but... Um, anyway, they're both great, and special effect and and this is like the of the 25 different movies crammed this is the best one in which like it, uh christina ricci's character and casper are both like oh i wish i could just have a friend and mm. they start to you know have friendships or uh, they develop a bond with one another um uh, there are also three other ghosts um do you remember their names or anything about them no like, oh, i just remember they're the bad ones casper's yes. the good one and then there's there's a Lanky one, a fat one, and then like a tiny little conniving one. So, yes, yeah. that's you remember more than I did. So, it <laughs> stretches <laughs> stretch a leader. There's yep. fatso and then there's uh, not uh, very stinky. cleverly named, are they? <laughs> no, <laughs> what I think do we call the, the fat original... one? <laughs> hey, fatso. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I think those are creations from the original 60s comic. And I don't know, like, uh, they had to get home early that day, so <laughs> okay. <laughs> but they 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 deliver a lot of the punch up jokes and um, mm. two of the ones where i literally groaned out loud uh, the first is in which they're they're haunting their their new residence and they lock uh, Christina ricci's character in a closet and and fatso says hey we got a closet case here mm. yeah that's a that's a groaner right there just it leaps the off the page <laughs> I hate the, yeah i just <laughs> i hate i hate adult <laughs> jokes in kids movies or whatever they're just awful and then another one is uh, i don't know if you remember they sit down for a meal and the joke is they can't actually digest anything, so all this food falls to the floor. Yeah. And one of them points out, like, Fatso, you're eating, like, Oprah on hiatus. Oof, okay. Again, <laughs> yes. just timeless jokes. Just, <laughs> you know, just, uh, like, a material that will survive the ages. Yes. I, I wanted to make sure that you hear the jokes the same way I did and have the same feeling as if your your skin is being peeled off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's perfect maybe the experience they were going for is jokes so bad it makes your you feel like you're leaving your body so it's like yeah. oh there's the there's the apparition kind of feeling we're going for yeah but if they just stuck to maybe like one thing cuz cuz after that there's also this um, contraption, like, Casper's father was a kooky inventor, and so they have, like, the, the Amblin Entertainment Back to the Future slash uh, Edward Scissorhands, uh, Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah. But they go down into the basement, and there's a hidden machine there. And, like, if, if they just stuck to maybe, like, one thing and keep it at that, like, that that would have been it. But, I don't know, They, they there's only so much material they have with Casper that they had to graft, like, 18... Thousand other things on here. Eric idol plays the bumbling assistant to the to the gold digger. Again, hugely overqualified cast. Like not all of it works, um, but I I guess like maybe it's just a time waster for your kids. In the same way it was for. I mean, it doesn't really sound like you're. Yeah, it doesn't really seem like you're recommending it. <laughs> um, I, no, <laughs> it seems okay, like you had to get this off your chest. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did, and we didn't see anything else new or interesting and there's nothing i could connect to, to rear window not even disturbia um, so <laughs> so again i just had to get this off the chest. maybe fair warning like i'd say if if you do want family friendly halloween theme entertainment put hocus pocus on first mm. not this stuff and not those like again awful 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 jokes um i think another thing you might have been traumatized by um during the funny montage where they've got all these ghostbusters trying to take out um the ghost they send in a priest Yes, the uh, they stay outside, and um, you hear like a this awful like neck cracking sound, and then he walks out, and it turns out his head's been turned like one hundred and eighty degrees, and he oh, like plays it off all casually. Yeah, because of the Exorcist. Oh, again, yeah, like mm-hmm. so many references that all the kids would enjoy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh. Um, so this is this is my warning. This is okay. This is, <laughs> this is a this is a anti spotlight. Okay, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Interesting. Just an anti-spotlight, maybe. Uh, again, just showing off my. Uh, the, I, I'm a Consumer Reports advocate. Okay, I want to. I'm a consumer advocate. I and I want to warn you. There's there's not a lot. Uh, there's not enough good in Casper to say put it on for your kids or something like you know find some find something new find something different uh, of okay. this Halloween. Um, but it's not Halloween anymore. So this was all pointless. There I'm sorry go. I wasted ten minutes of your time. <laughs> um. <laughs> Oh well, yeah. I mean, yep. again, like uh, with the coming civil war, you know, we need any form of entertainment we can get. So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, I'm glad you brought that up because it is the topic of this week's trivia challenge. <laughs> oh, the, yes, to edit trivia. Let's go. Let's make it happen. Absolutely. Um, John, you know, over the pandemic, you and I have been radicalized by QAnon. Of um, course. We now believe We've seen that the truth. We've been awakened. We've been yes. red-pilled. Or actually, no, red-pilled is so 2016. What's the new uh, kind of movie reference we can pull from? <laughs> well, I, that, that will play into one of my questions here. Um, for those that don't know, QAnon is now a, uh, a new uh, collective delusion for uh, a lot of retirees who are on the internet maybe 20 hours out of the day. Yes. Um, have... Uh, have Have... Have a diet exclusively of conservative media and just internalize all these like awful uh, fears and and anxieties about um, powerful Democratic leaders, uh, Mm. capital D Democratic, and um, celebrities, and so. Now they all think that they're in a cabal of um, Satanist you know, blood drinking, baby killing, like um, a cohort or something like that, and that Donald Trump, um, not being a terrible uh, politician that he is, is instead like fighting the secret war against them. Of course, um, that's that's the basic premise behind QAnon, and it has a lot of other spinoff theories. Um, theories, sorry, uh, correct proven facts that JFK Jr. is alive and that. Um, <laughs> And that uh, alien technology is with us, and uh, like just a lot of other like you know, cool stuff, um, stuff that you can go down the rabbit hole, and that's the um, the subject of this week's trivia, John. Um, so I've collected seven questions, um, not just about QAnon, but other uh, uh, <laughs> not just about QAnon, but other uh, conspiracy conspiracy theories. Excuse me, facts about movies. Got him. Um, yeah, so I just want just to test your knowledge and make sure that you're uh, that you're up on your on your stuff. Okay, you ready? Let's do it. Let's make it happen, Captain. I'm ready. Okay, my body right. is ready. All right. Question one. A lot of people liken getting radicalized by QAnon to a scene in The Matrix in which our hero N- Neo uh, mm-hmm. is given a choice between two pills. What are the colors of each pill, and what do they signify? You take the red pill. No, you take the blue pill. Mm-hmm. You wake up, dreaming, thinking, whatever you want. You take yes. the red pill. You go down the rabbit hole, or you 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 follow the white rabbit and see how far the rabbit hole goes. Yes. Yes. You stay yeah. in Wonderland. Yes. yes. It, it stay in Wonderland. That's the word. Yes. That's what I was correct. looking for. Correct. Okay. Yes. Correct. John, I would I only give you credit if you quoted it exactly right, because <laughs> oh. right, clearly it's consumed a lot of people. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. And of course, as '90s kids, we've seen The Matrix at least seven hundred times. Yes. <laughs> so again, a lot of people, like in uh, QAnon, to getting radicalized. Um, Little do they know, actually, this is a product of Hollywood sickos um, who are now trans women and want to turn all your kids, um, swap all your kids' genders and, um, I don't know, kill them later. So there you go. So we're never watching The Matrix again. All right. Question two. In the movie Three Men and a Baby, a ghost famously appears in the background. Rather yes. than their, rather than admit their control over the supernatural, the producers falsely stated that it was a cardboard cutout of one of the film's three stars. John, which star of Three Men and a Baby appears, supposedly, as a cardboard (laughs) cutout in the background of the movie? I believe it is Ted Danson, um, if I'm not mistaken. yes. That is Ah. correct. Ted Danson. Crushing it. Crushing it. Can't Mm -hmm. pull pull a fast one on me. I know there are ghosts, and I know who I'm going to call. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Question three. Now, we all know that Stanley Kubrick helped NASA fake the moon landing in order Mm -hmm. to bankrupt the Soviet Union and win the Cold War. Uh, he alludes to this proven fact through many props and costume choices in the film The Shining. Yes. Uh, what appears on Danny Torrance's shirt that leads some to believe, excuse me, confirm that Stanley Kubrick helped <laughs> take the moon landing? I believe it is a crocheted sweater featuring the Apollo 11 rocket. John, you were too damn good. <laughs> you I've, can't, you've you've you reading. can't, Greg, you can't fool me, because my eyes are open. All right. <laughs> yes. You've been reading the cube proofs. You've been following cube uh, map I think <laughs> <is> the, <laughs> it's the place to go. Um, I know all something. the drops. I know all the dates where something was going to happen, and then it, it happened, but we didn't know about it, and so we haven't been awoken yet. But it's going to happen. Okay. Trust the plan. Yes, yes absolutely. Trust the plan. Yeah. Trust the plan. Uh Wagga, Wagga one. Um, We'll get to that later. But anyway, question four. Now, John, here's a confirmed fact. NASA scientists did indeed help Stanley Kubrick on one movie uh, because he needed a special lens to shoot one scene that was lit only by candlelight. Mm -hmm. On what movie did Stanley Kubrick employ a special lens from NASA so that he could shoot an entire scene lit only by candlelight? Well, you know, the obvious choice is Lolita. But, um... And, yeah, in, the, in our theme of Hollywood sickos. Yeah, um. exactly. Um, again, the clues are right there. I left you all the clues, Mr. <laughs> Policeman. Um, and again, as soon as you started talking about NASA, my next thought was, obviously, I think they consulted on 2001 Space Odyssey, but I'm pretty mm. sure candles don't stay lit in space. So, I'm going to guess Barry Lyndon. That is correct, John. Yes. You are 100% already, like... You are, you are blowing minds away. Mm. You are the next praying medic. You are the next QAnon star, <laughs> I think. Greg, heavy lays the crown, but I think I can handle it. <laughs> all right, outstanding. Question five. QAnon supporters famously use the nonsensical phrase, where we go one, we go all. This is lifted from the trailer of a little scene movie starring Jeff Bridges and directed by Ridley Scott. What is that movie? I know this. I've been told this, and now I can't remember. It's like... It's like some. Kind I, of, it's, honestly, no judgments if you can't remember. I, I was shocked by No, answer. I watched <laughs> it. Yeah, I watched a video and they included the clip and now I can't remember it. Yeah, it's like. It's a Red Dawn esque kind of movie, but I really can't remember what. I I can't even. Be, beach Bums Go Wild. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> what it's called. <laughs> that's, a, that's a damn good guess. The answer is White Squall. White Squall. That's. And this it. is actually a period piece, it's set on a ship. Mm-hmm. I think it's based on a series of books like Master and Commander, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not a Hollywood executive or anything. But just regardless of the success of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, never do a boat-based movie. Uh, it's too expensive. A period movie, based, yeah, too expensive, and they never work. They never do well at the at the box office. White Squall was a, a financial disaster. Before this, Ridley Scott did a movie about Columbus called nineteen, er, 19 1492. Mm-hmm. That was also a disaster. The Master and Commander movies didn't do well at the box office. The like, only outlier truly is the Pirates of the Caribbean. And yes. they gave Gore Verbinski a blank check from then on out. And those were the most, at the time, most expensive movies ever filmed. So, yes. those sequels. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, enough of this tangent. John, we have to get back to um, alienating our loved ones by um, haranguing <laughs> them about uh, <laughs> Uh, the, all the evil cabal that's eating children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Question six. In The Wizard of Oz, one, uh, one munchkin hanged himself on set. Uh, for many years, it was presumed because he lost his true love, but now it's been proven that he found out about the evil cannibalistic cabal that runs Hollywood. Ah, uh-huh. um, now it all makes sense. Okay. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. sense. <laughs> Some evildoers tried to explain this away by claiming that uh, it was a shadow created by an animal that was on loan from the L.A. Zoo that happened to be on set that day. What kind of animal do people claim appeared in the background <laughs> of the Wizard of Oz that people presume was a munchkin hanging themselves? Well, I've, I've examined the footage very carefully, almost like my own mm-hmm. personal Zapruder film. I've, I've watched it very <laughs> intently, and yes. I know for a fact it is a great heron. I'm going to give you credit. I was going to say, I was just looking for a big bird okay yeah um, it's, a, so it's yes. a it's a it's cr- a it's a heron of some kind it's you know one of those long necked with the big beaks that yes eat, eat, some eat frogs. people also assumed an emu um mm. so that was the other supposition but yes i'll give you credit for that one john you're now five for six unbelievable right mm-hmm. again i'll I, i'll give you credit for admitting you wouldn't know white squall because nobody remembers that movie, <laughs> so <laughs> all right final question are you ready I, I don't know, Greg. I've, there's there's just so much. Exactly, My heart we're is blowing people's minds here. <laughs> exactly, it's it's a lot to take in. the The fact that the wool's been pulled over your eyes for all these years, but um. <laughs> all now, right, now hit we it, get to hit the it biggest, with me. Hit it with yes. Me. Now we get to the biggest lie of all. Okay, now it's it's a proven fact that Steven Spielberg actually directed the movie Poltergeist, and that was, of course, to uh, uh, demonstrate his supernatural powers and get closer to children that were in the movie. <laughs> but. <laughs> Who is the actual credited director on the movie Poltergeist? my first guess because he's he for a while he was kind of like the heir apparent he was the guy you would call in as a, like his protege to do it i mm-hmm. want to say joe johnston but i have a sneaking suspicion it was probably someone else but that would i i you could give me 15 minutes to you know like you know rack my brain and go into my mind palace and i still probably wouldn't be able to pull out a good answer so i'm just gonna go joe Johnston okay that's a very good guess unfortunately it is incorrect (sighs) Um, uh, it's actually a master of horror Um, somebody who's put a lot of like horrific things director Toby Hooper uh, famous for uh, the Texas Texas Chainsaw chainsaw massacre, Massacre Life Force um a terrible horror movie called *The Fun House*. I really regret seeing that one. But uh, oh. yeah, well, and and like again, *Master of Horror*, *Life Force*. Everyone remembers *Life Force*. <laughs> you <know>. I, there <laughs> are some good stuff in *Life Force*. All right, I caught it on cable once. All I remember is that poster, that gigantic eyeball. It's just ooh, yeah, very evocative. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, now our eyes are open. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll be on eight chan later. Like just. <laughs> It, when we're not recording the podcast, we are uh, on Gab and what uh, are the other conservative websites, uh, Parler, uh Parler, Parler, yeah, HN. Just uh, pouring over all these. Oh, uh, uh, Greg, things. HN doesn't exist anymore. It's a now. Okay. <laughs> oh God. Obviously, obviously, you could see. You know, I I judge people for being on the internet way too much. <laughs> whereas we, you and I know the scoop. We're just we just got the right mindset for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's where we can laugh at these people. But um, anyway. This isn't this isn't a place to judge, okay? No. If you want good social content, you know, where we don't uh, uh, bombard you with disinformation or alienate you, um, <laughs> like some poor people have with their families, uh, you can go ahead and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we also have an Instagram account, and uh, give us a subscribe on your podcast service of choice. That includes Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Uh, and of course, we're, we're you know the biggest way. thing you can do for us is give us five stars because five stars is how people yeah. find the podcast, and then we can start building our audience and build this aspiring snobs community together. Exactly. So please keep your negativity to yourself. All right. I know I can't. That's why. <laughs> that's why we do this podcast. Exactly. I got. I, I need an outlet for it. So please don't make that outlet the Apple Podcast reviews. Where Instead, else was Greg? Greg would have looked like a crazy person complaining about Casper to the bus driver. You know, exactly. <laughs> he needs this. <laughs> all right. Yeah. But Dale is very understanding, all right. I have a few other harangues that I that I offer to him, and and he's he's very receptive. Um, I could see that blank expression in the reflection of the witch shield, like he's he's listening intently, and he knows that yeah. Now he knows he's not going to show his children Casper. Um, next there Halloween. you go. So yep. yeah. In any event, yep. um, we do have that, and we also have a another episode coming up in two weeks and uh yes if you want to join us in watching a movie you're more than welcome to that's why we tell you what we're going to be watching so. exactly uh we haven't discussed this yet but <laughs> there's something we've been meaning to touch or at least we've we, this is going to be a little contentious but i think mm-hmm. we need to finally sit down and watch black narcissus yeah so this this is another uh, art piece i mean um not <laughs> Not a wholly probably entertaining movie, but uh, I think uh, worthy of discussion. So yeah, it always uh, ends up on like those you know art house lists you need to watch, and I think it's one of the last remaining ones that we need to tackle. So, yeah. you know, stay tuned for that one and see see where we <laughs> land. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows what's happening in this election? I mean, you know, maybe p- Black Narcissus will uh, cheer cheer us up and lift our spirits. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe we'll be able to find some connections. Maybe it's about a a a man child who runs for office. Oh, that's what we should have done. We should have done face in the crowd. Oh well, too late. We already committed. (laughs) Yep, too late. I don't know. God willing, (laughs) one of the two old men um, who are running for president will uh, (laughs) will have a clear victor. Um, Yes, and it'll be the right one, the the legitimate one, Um, the one who does who only complains about ice cream and not. (laughs) Uh, I mean who knows? Either way we lose. Yeah. It's just yep. yeah. Just just try to get to Canada before, you know, the border's closed and No, you think <laughs> they're not doing any better with COVID or whatever, so you I'm finding so? an Yeah. So I purchased an island, John, in the South Pacific. Oh, of um, course. Yeah. I mean if you make it worth my while, I'm I'm taking applications. So. <laughs> You gotta test negative, of course. Or at that's least claim everyone tested negative. <laughs> that's the, yeah. Every day is gonna be my 40th birthday party. Um, yes. In case you, you wanna know ex- what exact date we've, we recorded, we're alluding to Kim Kardashian's birthday party. But the weird thing is, like, she's not the first person who's tried to pull this shit, where they, like, post, like, just enjoying of our private island, everyone tested negative, don't worry about it. <laughs> like, and, uh, and you know, getting harangued immediately, like, yeah. oh, yeah, this will be accepted for the likes. <laughs> she has to know. I mean, <laughs> uh, maybe that's yeah, maybe that's what she was hoping for. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. all probably. What was it? the old adage was uh, all uh, all press is good press? Even you know now, yeah. I'm trying to think like all content is engaging content. <laughs> <don't> yes, <laughs> yeah. Or if you ask our brother, no news is bad news. There you go. <laughs> Always be in the news. <laughs> exactly. Always be newsing. Yes. Stay Always tuned for new. our next podcast. Always be news. Oh geez, geez, gosh, I could I could picture it in my mind's eye, and just my ears bleeding. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, enough of that. So, yes. until next time, thank you everybody for listening, and remember, keep aspiring. A crazy little train in Cochabamba takes you for a ride that's quite a thrill. This crazy little train's the choo cha cha to Cha-Cha's all the way to Cha-Cha Bill The rhythm of the wheels is strictly Latin Hear the beat and you just can't sit still Oh, buy a ticket on the choo-choo Cha-Cha And Cha-Cha all the way to Cha-Cha Bill